G'day money miners, hope you've had a great Easter long weekend. Now Newmont, they've upped their bid for Newcrest. Evolution has updated their guidance due to a gut load of rain in North Queensland. Got Calidus on track to meet guidance and Panoramic. Produced 1,500 tonne of nickel at their Savannah project. After being also impacted by heavy rain and mill shutdowns, this is money of mine for Tuesday. 11th of April, we had Friday, Monday off. Loved it too, won't lie. Hope everyone had a sensational long weekend. JD, Trav, how mate. are we? G'day, mate. How are we? Oh, sensational. JD. Pumped for week two. Pumped for the new – you're a Let's new go. man, mate. You've now even getting uh, interacted with on social media. Yeah, do you want to spell it out for us? Well, both in a positive and negative way. Thanks for everyone's great feedback that we've been getting. We appreciate the good feedback. But equally, we can't show a lack of appreciation for the negative feedback. Uh, now, and isn't Hot Copper a great forum for that? So, look, we've put ourselves out there. We've posted the YouTube links. Um, look, had a lot of great comments, but oh, what the, the way I see it, lads, if you're getting negative feedback, even people that think you shit are listening to you, so that's a good thing. That's it. Now we won't we won't name and shame, but um, JD was referred to as the old bespectacled fella. I assume they were talking about JD. There. Mate, you are the youngest person here by a country mile. Well, one fella on hot copper. This was like medium intensity. I uh, gave this a run. Don't mind the Aussie larrikin hey gun feel to it, to be honest. So they make the same fist of this financial media bullshit as Koshi or anyone else does. So that wasn't too bad. <laughs> then we go on to the next one. This was, I like the, this one. Lasted two minutes. Couldn't stand the excruciating bogan accent of the host. I think they were talking about me. Oh, sorry, big fella, won't be changing that one. And look, yeah, just on that one, Maddie, it, I find it bizarre that uh, Jonas, who is from the most remote place of all of us, and we're all from country towns, but he sounds by far the most intelligent. You've got Leonora Kalgoorlie and, uh, yeah, I would have thought I'm definitely probably the least remote. Uh, now, final one. I was going to say that this podcast was the least insightful I've ever come across. I'm not disputing what they had to say, but they said very little and I want my five minutes back. Good luck to you if you're looking to them for investment advice. Now, if you go to lifeofmindpodcast.com, haters, there is a voicemail function there. You can actually leave a voicemail. So if you'd like to take your abuse to the next level, leave a voicemail and we'll happily play it on the show. So oh, bring on the hate. I love it. I don't know how you boys might have been a bit confronted at the start, but it That's really great. gets me the, going. The hot copper crowd is um is pretty fascinating. And uh, they, you know, if you don't pump up their bags, they're, they're not very happy with you. And, um, and I think it's a good opportunity for us to sort of actually relay what, what the sort of content we are trying to put out there. It's not going to be super promotional stuff. There might be the occasion where we um, give give credit to a company where it's due, but most of the time we're an ex-miner, an ex-banker and an ex-equity research guy that are coming together and providing our, our insight to the extent that we have it um, on the market as we see it. Yeah, and for the record, my girlfriend said the glasses were quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> what else can you do? Oh, well, look, and we'll, we'll do a little segment like that each day. Why not? Add a bit of add a bit of humour to the day. So right, let's get on to it. Newcrest Newmont. So Newmont have upped 
their bid. Unsurprisingly, they've gone for a bigger bigger offer, 0.4 Newmont shares per Newcrest share, value on it a bit over 32 bucks at today's Newmont share price. Let's get into it, lads. What's going on? Well, mate, this um this this is obviously a giant deal. It's the biggest deal. Bloody huge. It's the biggest deal, you know, in, in Australia for the year. It's the biggest deal in mining for the year. It's just, it's massive by every stretch of the imagination. And there's going to be that much content out there about this deal, but I'm not going to to, to dive into rationale and what it means from, from that sort of perspective. I think the, the insight that I think I can add here is actually just talking about the M&A strategy that's, that's been taken on here, primarily by the board of Newcrest in order to get this result. So, the, this this deal now, as it appears, Newcrest shareholders, they're going to be getting 0.4 Newmont shares per Newcrest share plus the Newcrest shareholders. They're also going to receive a special franked dividend of US $1.10 um, just to flush out its franking credits. And, and So that's once they do this deal because they won't be trading on the ASX anymore, those franking credits would be still, still there. They need to get rid of them because they've paid the tax already. Is that what that means? I, I actually think that they will probably still trade on the ASX. Um, it'll just be the case that the CDIs of Newmont will trade on the ASX, kind of similar to what you saw when um, Block took over yeah. Afterpay last year. So um, it, it probably will, but, but the franking credits are, are effectively just a function of the, the Australian um, tax regime that we have here. And it's, it only really benefits Australian domiciled shareholders. Um, so, so back to the back to the M and A strategy that's 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 happened here. I'll just do a little quick recap of, of of what the announcements sort of were to the market and 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 what we could see from the outside looking in on this deal. The first proposal came from Newmont and it was it was knocked back by the Newcrest board behind closed doors. This all happened privately before it was ever announced to the market, and that was at zero, an exchange ratio of zero point three six three Newmont shares per Newcrest share. Um, and the second proposal came in at at zero point three eight, so that's a bit bit of a kicker already. And this one this one was was knocked back. Um, however, it, it it was actually leaked before before it was knocked back. So it was leaked to the market, and then essentially Newcrest had to come out and say that that um, they they're considering this proposal, um, and they were confirming the media speculation, but they were considering the proposal. And it took them 10 days before they actually provided what their indication was going to be on this proposal. And when they, when they finally did that on the 16th of February, um, it was pretty, pretty interesting language and a pretty interesting strategy that you could see some real thinking into what the board there was trying to do. On that announcement on the 16th of February, they said that the value still wasn't there at the, that price effectively, but they would, they would, their, their plan was to open the door slightly and they actually gave Newcrest some non-public information on a non-exclusive basis was their wording. And what that means in, in, in banking jargon is essentially um, they believe, the board believed that um, they weren't getting full value or, or appropriate value for the company at that exchange ratio. And in an effort to, to, to get value to where they believed it actually was, they've provided Newmont with what I think is probably just a brief investor pack but the main thing, if you're trying to persuade someone of value, is giving them a financial model. And this financial model, it will, will ultimately just be a culmination of all of the assets and that'll spit itself out into a, an NPV or a NAV per share. And, and that, that, that number is used as the basis to argue your, your value. So this model is typically just the corporate model and bankers will 
add a little bit of overlay to that to sort of make it look look a bit nicer and sometimes juice some assumptions to to to, to paint it in the highest color. And 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 the other piece of information there was that it was on a non-exclusive basis. So it wouldn't be surprising to me if if what Newcrest strategy here was was to actually share that information with other potential bidders in order to try and create a, b a little bit of competitive tension. So you could think of other potential acquirers such as a Barrick or an Agnico being shared this information as well, just to test the market to see if they could actually create a bit of competitive tension and get the best potential outcome for shareholders. Now, of course, we don't know what those conversations were or what they might have been. It's sort of none of that's been disclosed. However, um, if you look at what's happened now, you, you basically um, you can basically infer that this strategy has worked remarkably well for them because in this later offer, it's a 16% kicker on the last one. And in total, it actually represents a 41.2% premium to Newcrest's undisturbed 30-day volume-weighted average price. And, and why is this such a big deal? You know, on, on the last episode, I mentioned 40% is a pretty typical premium in M&A. Yes, it is at the small end of town. Rarely do you ever see a 40% premium for a $32 billion takeover. It's, 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 it's pretty spectacular in mining and especially in gold. And yes, the gold price has increased in the month since the initial announcement to market, um, but it's still pretty, pretty substantial. Cast your mind back to the Northern Star Saracen deal um, and, and it was a fraction of the size. Um, but that was, that was you know, effectively a very low premium um, merger of equals. There was just a special dividend for Saracen shareholders and they got it over the line. So, you know, Newcrest, um, they've now agreed to fully open the door. What does that mean? They've, they've granted exclusive due diligence to Newmont and it's going to be a bilateral due diligence process that happens over four weeks. Both parties have access to the data room of each other and they're, they're just confirming that um, value makes sense with all this other information um, and it looks like this deal will probably go ahead with no more spanners in the works. Yeah, I think what you highlighted at the, at the end there, Trav, access to the data room. That's a term we see thrown around lots in financial media and mining media. And what that's essentially doing at this stage is giving Newmont access to all the information, be it valuation, geological and everything that Newcrest has accumulated on its asset, which will give Newmont a um, more sturdy foundation to value all those assets and ensure that they're paying the right price for this uh, company. Right. Two things I want to ask is before we move on. Do you see this as a, a good deal long-term considering Newcrest was trading up near 40 bucks back in 2019? Have they effectively, even though with a 40-odd percent premium, do you think they've got them pretty cheap? The, the, the one piece of information I can add there is, is Newmont have opportunistically made this bid because it looks like Newcrest is a bit beaten up. They're not every, – everyone is scared of paying too much for a company, especially when you're talking these sort of quantums. So, you know, New Newmont might have for a long time thought there's a rationale to put the two companies together, but they're not going to make a takeover offer back when they're at their all-time high. They, 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 go, they know they're going to probably have to pay a premium of some description. I imagine at the beginning they didn't think a 40% premium was what it was going to take, but they're happy to pay it, it seems, when they're being persuaded on value. So, look, I think, I think ultimately given where Newcrest's share price was trading earlier this year, this is a fantastic outcome for Newcrest shareholders. Um, however, I can't comment on, on, on what might have led to the, to the company sort of share price dwindling in the way it has since 2019. Now, second thing... Lahir, which is Newcrest 
what are they? I think it is their biggest producing asset here in PNG, considering what has just uh, transpired with Porgra that we covered last week. Uh, PNG taking over fifty percent ownership of that asset. There was reports previously that uh, Newmont CEO was going to divest Lahir, but article in the AFR, the comments. Uh, alluded to the fact that they wanted to keep Lahir once Newmont take them over. Do you see Lahir, PNG, a bit of a risk for this takeover deal? Look, Matty, it's it's um, it's a different risk profile, absolutely, and you're the resident PNG expert on the podcast. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trusting your insight um, as to how, how things unfold there. Um, well, Wafi Galpu is another interesting, interesting one in addition because they signed the MOU the other day, so Newcrest have a 50-50 joint venture with Harmony Gold, Wafi Gold, so that's the Copper Gold project in PNG as well. So, and that it's primarily a copper. I think it's the value is about two and a half times for copper as what it is to gold of what they're going to pump out a year. So there is that, but that's a pretty small producer compared to Lahir. So it's definitely a lot going on in that PNG space. Newcrest are exposed to it with Wafi Goldberg and Lahir. So it'll definitely be something to keep our eyes on going forward once this takeover goes through. So yeah, it'd be interesting. I'll take it a bit of an interest in the PNG since we've started this podcast. So they're good supporters of rugby league too. So uh, now on the evolution, EVN updated their guidance. Uh, Weather impact, North Queensland, been absolutely gut load of rain over there. Ernest Henry's been impacted by it up near Cloncurry. March quarter performance. JD, what's happening, mate? Yeah, the that's weather, it. So they've The weatherman. They've come out with a, a few highlights. I touched on the March quarter performance for the company as a whole quickly. 164,000 ounces, 9.6 thousand tonnes of copper produced at an all-in sustaining cost in Aussie dollar terms of $1,290. So as you touched on, their Ernest Henry asset near Cloncurry in Queensland had a fair bit of bad weather about a month ago now. So 29 Metals was another company we saw suffer pretty badly from the downpour they had for about a week over there. And what Evolution did was they ended up bringing forward planned maintenance that they'd had. They flagged that they'd shut down the operations for six weeks and then they'd come back to the market. So what they've now done is they've updated guidance, the key numbers there being 660,000 ounces, 48,000 tonnes of copper at an all-in sustaining cost of 1,390. So quite a significant increase in the all-in sustaining cost there. So for Ernest Henry specifically, it means about 17,000 ounces of gold less is produced uh, for FY23. And in terms of copper, about 10,000 tonnes will be um, 10,000 tonnes less will be produced over the financial year. And they've also mentioned that they will stick to this six-week time frame and they'll be up and producing again, we'd see probably in about a fortnight or so. So there was a statement, it was only a two-page announcement that the company came out with, but a statement that really stood out to me and for uh, people listening to the podcast, I'll just read it out. Group all-in sustaining cost has been impacted by the temporary lower copper production, which equates to an increase of $195 per ounce and is the main contributor to the change guidance. This being partially mitigated by the higher copper price and the forecast lower sustaining capital for the year. 
So for those that are unfamiliar, we're going to just quickly go through how companies treat byproduct credits. So at an asset like Ernest Henry, the main commodity that they're producing is gold. And they're also selling quite a bit of copper. Now, what that means is a company like Evolution will, rather than add the revenue they receive from the copper, they'll subtract it from the costs of mining the gold. So that's- this is, this is for the purpose of reporting your all-in sustaining cost, is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right, Trav. So we'll pull up for people watching on the YouTube a chart which puts Ernest Henry and all other major gold mines in Australia sort of into perspective. So what you have on the Y-axis is all the companies ranked by their all-in sustaining cost and then just a list of the producers. And you'll see Cadia and Ernest Henry at just hugely lower all-in sustaining costs. Now, this is, as I just mentioned there, a direct, a direct result of those two assets producing a large amount of byproduct credits, in both these cases, a large amount of copper. So it's pretty bizarre when you look at that. I mean, I mean, you literally see a negative all-in sustaining cost reported. Yeah, which unless you're aware of the fact that it's a byproduct credit, you just think, how can you make, how can you produce gold at a negative cost? Absolutely, and it's a, a huge gripe that I think a lot of analysts have with the the mining space as a whole. It's one of the key reasons Evolution stands out in a lot of comparables and charts that people put together, and it's the key reason why they can bill themselves as a standout low-cost, high-margin producer because of this gold and because, sorry, pardon me, because of the copper that they produce. And Ernest Henry produces amongst their uh, five assets a huge amount of copper, which can be then deducted from the group all-in sustaining cost. Is there a better way to present this? Is it what is the comparison? If you're going to try and compare a copper gold miner versus a gold miner, for instance, would you have to go down the road of just sheerly looking at profit I think, margins? I, I think, I think, Maddie, you hit the nail on the head there. Like we should really just be laser focused on operating free cash flow. Yeah. So they're, they're trying to market. They're using it as a marketing tool essentially. Yeah, they in a sense try and make it easier for analysts, but it's not really an apples to apples comparison when this thing receives two revenue streams and the cost outlook is quite different. Yeah. Now, for everyone's info about what rain does to underground mining operations, uh, when they say he- impacted by heavy rain, it's not the, the fact that you can't get there and there's mud everywhere. You think of any underground mine as just a big giant funnel. So between the portal accesses, the ventilation shaft accesses, all the rain just reports to those area and it goes downhill and you will lose access to the bottom of the mine. It just fills up like a bottle of water. So I would anticipate, well, I do know, that this is what happened at Ernest Henry. So you end up losing and then you lose infrastructure, you lose electrical boxes because you literally can't get them out in time as quicker than the water's rising. So that is uh, what heavy impact does to underground mining. So you can see operating in tropical areas like like North Queensland um, up in – uh, like places near Broome and like even in the Pilbara, like heavy rain has a big – in wet seasons has a big impact on compared to operating places like Kalgoorlie. So it's always a risk to identify. On to Calidus, Trav. Calidus on track to meet guidance with record 16,000 ounces, 16, ounces of gold sold. Been uh, 
heavily talked about and they Calidus reflects our new logo. We're going to tie this in. The Lasson curve. Mate, no spoilers. Come on, come on. Oh, should have I spoiled it? Uh, I've got that. That's the hook. That's the hook. That's, that's the, the hook. YouTube hook. That's the hook. Uh, so Take it away, brother. Maddie, this is it's a pretty similar style of announcement in my perspective to the to the Red Five one that we saw literally last week, and we, and we gave a big talk about on about what what sort of transpired in the lead up to their production. Calidus has undergone not the same, but you know, not not a completely different journey themselves in terms of getting finance. Their their financing process actually happened a lot faster. Um, however, they've, they've similarly experienced a bit of a few hiccups in the in the uh, the ramp up process, and and I'll break this down um, by actually discussing that Lasson curve. This is this is for the for the YouTube listener. Um, I'm going to bring it up on screen, and what we see here, thanks to Visual Capitalist, is is a very visual um, chart that explains the the value of a a mineral deposit over its life cycle, uh, and and when when you when you learn. Um, mining finance 101 this is the very first thing you learn is how is a mineral deposit learned over the life cycle from all the way from you know its concept um, to its sort of depletion and re- and, re- and rehabilitation over time and what we see on this chart is is um, at, at the very beginning these geologists will have some concept they'll prove it up they'll um, they might even sort of put some drill holes in and test it and they, 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 there's there's some structural indication that there could be mineralization there and then it it can become a company and the company can raise some money and get publicly listed and they can drill a bunch of holes and just and every now and again, one of those exploration companies actually finds something that's worth mining. Um, and when that happens, that discovery happens, there's a lot of speculative interest in the stock and you, you typically see the value of the company shoot right up. The speculation is, um, is, is enormous and there's so much potential because, because you don't know how big it is yet. So some, quite often the, the stock price sort of runs away um, and, and then then what happens is as more drill results come out, the investor community becomes more informed about the real parameters of the size and economics of what this um, deposit might be. And, and as that becomes more closed off and defined over time, then um, that euphoria sort of leaves the market and the, the company is progressing towards mining. So they're doing the scoping study and the, and the feasibility study as, as Jonas talked about um, on Friday's episode. And as, as soon as the company starts talking about um, their studies, as soon as they mention the word CapEx, <laughs> what well, you typically find um, the, the investors get scared because they think, oh, no, the company's got to raise money and I get diluted in, a, in an enormous amount. And, and, and that period there is called the trough of disillusionment. And you see, you see on our, um, our, our picture from the visual capitalist that, that trough uh, you know, typically coincides with, with the studies and, and also the construction period because it can take a long time and there's no new exciting news. There's no new big deposit. It's hard to really get excited about a company building a mine. You kind of, you're, you know, and, and there's actually in that process, there's a transition of um, it, the company becomes increasingly institutionalized from a shareholder perspective. The institutions come on board and the retail market typically leave because it's not as juicy and as exciting. So all in this process, in theory, if, if a company executes well, it's becoming de-risked over time, even though when they're building it. And so they're, 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 they're de-risking the, the whole process and they're getting closer to positive cash flow. And so what you typically see is that re-rating that happens. And you can see that by the bump up in um, the, the life cycle curve. When that re-rating is supposed to happen, in, in theory, it sort of maxes out right as you know the, the company starts producing and, and, and all of a sudden you can see that this, this is going to be um, a really great mine. And, and then the value of the mineral deposit declines over time as depletion happens. Um, but if you're a shareholder, you're getting re- you know, those, those returns in the form of dividends or all the companies reinvesting that capital efficiently. So 
that's that's kind of the gist of mining finance all the way from concept through to depletion and rehabilitation. Now, why is this relevant to Calidus, you might ask? Well, I'm just going to bring up um, a bit of a share price of Calidus and I've, I've just marked on top of it just some key dates for the listeners and watchers out there. Um, so kudos to, to, to Google for this share price chart. There is a bit of chart crime going on because the the, uh, the y-axis only goes down to 0.2, so things aren't as dire as they might seem visually. However, you know, I've kept the Lasson curve in the top right corner there, and you can, you can kind of see that we almost get it. It's very, very, very similar to the Calidus share price. Calidus, they put out their DFS in September 2020, the, um, and they called themselves fully funded in December that year. They funded it with 80% debt, and that's a pretty big number. And, and, and then they went through that trough of disillusionment, as you can see, um, and they started mining in December 2021. The, the first ore they began processing in April 2022, and, and all this time the share price is going up, largely because of that de-risking. So the, the market is, is under the impression that, you know, they're de-risking, things are getting better, share price is going up, and, and instead of keep going up all the way until they start mining, then it starts to, to trend down. And that's because there's, there's, we get a bit of a sniff that things aren't quite going smoothly. In... in August 2022, Calidus raised $20 million of new equity and the use of funds that they purported to market was um, to fund their, their growth projects. But by the September quarterly, the market got a sniff that that ramp up of, um, of the, the, the Wairaruna project was was not going as smoothly as as, as had hoped. And the company actually mentioned that um, there was grade control reconciliation issues. The mill head grade was 0.78 grams per tonne versus the diluted grade control model prediction of 1.01 grams per tonne. And in a low-grade operation, that, that, that causes enough alarm in the market to get worried. So, And I think that, that, that partially explains why you see that drop-off in, in, in share price that's happened since. The company, though, did announce commercial production in January of this year, which in theory means that they're making money on the asset. And this, this announcement today is that, you know, they're, they're on track to meet their guidance and that's a positive announcement. You know, but however, I'm still not overly optimistic about the outlook of the company and, and by the looks of it, neither is the market based on, on the way the share price is trading. And that's, that's, because, that's because there's a few things you need to keep in mind that even if they're making money on the asset, this company is going to be stretched just to service their debt. So, so they've got $102 million of outstanding debt at the moment. And um, on the last quarter alone, um, that, that they had to spend $7.4 million to service that debt. $2.4 million of that was interest alone. Uh, and, and, and then on top of that, that, that large debt quantum, they've got 127,000 ounces hedged at the moment at a forward price of $2,400 per ounce Aussie. Oh, and, that sucks. Mm, when the current gold price is Aussie 3,000 per ounce, you, 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 you're constrained to ever really make decent margin on the gold that you're, you're selling. Um, so, so, so when you look at Calidus's cash position, they finished the December quarter with $12.4 million in, in, in cash and bullion. And that doesn't leave them with much breathing room when you have $102 million of debt to repay. Your, head, uh, to repay. Um, your hedge book is so far out of the money that you, you can't make decent margin and you've already had some issues on ramp up. And I think that's why we're seeing the share price doing what it's doing right now, rather than going up all the way until, you know, you're producing like the Lasson curve happens and then, and then de declining with depletion. So just to circle all the way back, 
on this beautiful Lausanne curve. The astute money miner out there might have noticed that we've had a bit of a marketing refresh over the weekend. And, um, and, and, and you'll, you, you might be able to pick out what we've chosen for our, our new logo, Matty. It is, in fact, the uh, Lausanne curve. Have a look at that. It's, and it's at that inflection point, you say. That's the, I guess the end of our logo is that point is like, is it going or is it not? As you see, Calidus kept going beyond that point. Yeah, I think that was really well put, Trav. And there's a few things I just want to add to that. Um, firstly, with regards to hedging, that's often not something that the company has an awful lot of say in. Like you mentioned in Calidus's case, they had a debt to equity ratio of 80-20, which uh, would Im- you'd often imply from that that the people that have provided the debt would want to put a few assurities around that and they would make the company hedge some of its uh, forward or future gold production. And just to really emphasize this point and put it into perspective across the market, there's a few other companies that we follow that we've spoken about over the last week that are going through this exact experience. So Galena is one that comes to mind. They've just gone into a trading halt. They're coming out of the as they've just finished constructing the processing plant. Mincor were in that ramp up phase. Panoramic is another name we'll speak about soon who are also in that ramp up phase. And it really highlights that there's different stages on the Lausanne curve, which are attractive and come with different risks to different investors. So that initial phase is really exciting. A lot of retail speculators will be in there. That secondary sort of uptick that we see is where a lot of institutions will come in and try and determine that this is a risk they're comfortable with or it's a management team that they believe can mitigate all the risks and get the company from being a developer to being a producer. With the hedging, say you've hedged 120,000 ounces like these guys have, do you ha- can you sell half hedge, half spot, or do you have to sell all your hedge first? How does that all work? Uh, yeah, they're, they're typically structured. I mean, correct, they're not fully hedge calidus by any stretch of the imagination. They are still exposed to spot because they've, they've spread that hedge hedging obligation out over several years. Yeah, companies will have various strategies. Uh, WAF comes to mind as a company that doesn't like to hedge, um, but other companies will have strategies such as hedging one-third of production for each of the next three years, as an example. And that's a fun – well, there's obviously the risk side, but it, do you say it's, it's heavily dependent on debt as well? Debt can be – It's you, you will be required to hedge debt, to fulfil And once debt the debt's paid down, just a decision by management. Yeah. Very good, lads. Good work, Trav. Great, great release of the logo and tied in too. Some great mining news at the time. We'll get on to Panoramic Resources, P-A-N-J-D. March quarter production results up at Savannah. So that's up north-north. I think that's cool. It's near Broome. Fitzroy. Fitzroy yep. Crossing, I think. Up near the old uh, Argyle Diamond Mine up in the Kimberley. Yeah. Uh, haven't had the pleasure of taking the long flight up there to that heat. 174,000 ton mine, 81% recovered and 1,500 ton of nickel. They're in the ramp up, JD. Yep, so we will actually touch on that weather again later. We'll just uh, skim a few more of the highlights. 174,000 tonnes mined, recoveries 81%. Like you said, 1,500 tonnes of nickel produced, 820 tonnes of copper and about 100 tonnes of cobalt all in concentrate. So... This is a company that's still, like I said before, on the the way to full nameplate capacity. So once they reach that, that'll be 
960,000 tonnes per annum, and we're expecting them to get there by the start of FY24. So once the company's up and running, we're going to expect nickel production to be between 9 and 10,000 tonnes and uh, copper around the 6,000 tonne mark. So what the company's come out with isn't a full quarterly, it's just highlighting some of the key numbers and we'll go into them a bit. Costs weren't provided in any detail, but the company had come out a few weeks ago with life of a new uh, revised life of mine plan and this highlighted uh, $8.57 per pound all-in cost. The company did state in this announcement that they have $32 million in cash, so doing a bit of work from the, the previous quarterly that would put their debt position at about $60 million and noting that they've got a roughly $22 million debt repayment due at the end of this year. So something the company had previously flagged is that they'd want to extend that revolving debt facility with a commodity trader. So we'll keep an eye out and that would sort of um, give investors a bit more assurity about the cash on hand that they have. Now, going into the weather, what we'd previously touched on, the company had measured, uh, mentioned severe weather disruption. So this isn't an unusual thing up in the Kimberley. They get a lot of rain from sort of November-ish to about March. And what sort of happens up there is that the the rivers will completely flood and no trucks or any form of logistics or anything will be able to get in and the Savannah mine will be cut off from both sides. And what they've flagged is that parts and labour both were not able to get to the mine. So what this in turn does to the operation is that they'd had a planned maintenance uh, for the mill and this ends up getting extended and the company then can no longer produce the paste which is needed, which we'll get to you in a second on, which comes from the mill and the tailings that are produced. So one of the lines that stood out to me was that Jumbo Development was down 30% to 803 metres. And as you're our undergrounding mining resident chief, we'll go over to you to (laughs) just flesh out what that sort of means, what development means basically, and what the company's talking about here with the the extended maintenance down period and how that impacts production going forward. Yeah, so I guess development and production, they jumbo development, they're, they're separate in a way but can be tied together. So if you start with the actual jumbo development, that's the, you know, the development, the accesses, the tunnels to get to the ore body to pave the way for the bulk production, which is the bulk extraction of the ore. So the your, de- your waste, like your decline development, that's your, your travel way to get down there. So if your jumbo development is 30% below, so anticipating that they were chasing about 1,000 metres close to and they've only got 800, that means um, – so down 30, sorry, 1,100. Geez, the maths is getting a bit rough now. I've uh, left the engineering scene. So everything sort of gets delayed. So your decline development means you're accessing levels later on. You might be your ore drive development might be uh, – if that's reduced, then your, your stopes are then pushed out. So the whole schedule sort of pushes forward. It's like when we talked about the slashing here, it just delays everything. So it does have a flow-on effect. It mightn't be in this quarter, but it might be in a year's time that they mightn't get to an ore body as quick. So that's where the jumbo development comes in. But when you have the mill shut down, so when we're – this is a paste fill mine 
uh, it appears, I haven't been there, but it is pace fills. That means that they extract every single bit of ore and they fill the stopes, so the 20 by 20 by 50 metres high, for instance, they fill that big chunk with paste and then that paste is a big chunk of cement essentially and then they can mine the rock adjacent to that cement and get full extraction of the ore. That paste is made up of like a a cement mixed with mill tailings. So all the mill tailings are when they process the nickel, it's all the shit that comes out the back end. That's called tailings. So instead of sending it to most of it to the tailings dam, they'll mix cement with it, pump it back underground and fill the voids that are created from the stopes. If you shut down the mill, you don't produce tailings, which means you don't produce paste. So if you've got a planned mill shut down, this will be taken into account in the schedule. But if that mill shutdown then goes over, uh, is overrun due to, which is appears what happens here. So the subsequent stopes are then all pushed out in the schedule because you take, you haven't been able to fill the predecessor stope, which then delays the access to the subsequent stope. And then that just flows on from there because it, it is a sequence driven schedule you can't mine number one uh, number two without mining number one you can't just skip it because you start losing all so it does have a a big impact and as i said some mines have supplementary fill so gualia for instance this is what it used to be like i'm not sure if it still is they could use old mill tailings and mix it with tailings and cement and they could just pump as much paste in there as they want whereas mines like this and and it's something to consider with mines like greenfield mines like de Grusa was like this i would think line town will be like this there is always a very hard balance between backfill and mining because you need to be mining the ore to generate the paste to fill the thing so if you have shutdowns and you 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 get behind you have to start chucking extra fill in so de Grusa, for instance they had to put extra cemented rock fill in so mix waste with cement to actually make up that gap that the paste fell behind in, and I think it really something to consider. Yeah, I think it really highlights that when a mine does fall behind on production and looks like it won't meet guidance, it is awfully hard to catch that that production. Well, the, and the back the backfill is the biggest one because you can't catch up fill when yeah. you when you're in that balance with paste. It's like it's a tough one to get your head around, but you can't. You just can't catch it up you have to get extra fill in created to actually do it so it's definitely a risk for pace fill operations perfect maddie great oh hey god happy to help lads happy to help no dramas at all right recap on all the other news that's out there that didn't make the top four we've got uh breaker BRB have come out with their target statement recommending shareholders to hit the accept button for their takeover offer by Ramirez. And Tom, the Colonel Sanders, still intends to remove the breaker board post takeover. Uh, we covered last week the Arafura went into a trading halt, so they've signed an NDPR off-take agreement with global wind turbine manufacturer Simons Gamesa pronounced it wrong probably they're a renewable energy company wind turbine manufacturer in germany so that satisfies the german offtake for the loan that they got as well so that was one it was conditional on that uh labyrinth resource release a ninety-five thousand ounce mineral resource estimate for their comet vale operation near menzies they'll trade an up 36 percent early in the day today 
ding, 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 I have an interest in that one. Nova Minerals increases its uh, mineral resource estimate to 9.9 million ounces with a phase two scoping study underway. The stock is down 20% on this news. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thanks, Matty. Thanks, guys. Great research. Trav loved the graph. Loved the graph with the annotations. Really, really took that to a new level. Every, every time a money miner sees our beautiful logo on their podcast or YouTube app, they'll think of that Lasson curve now. Yes, exactly. And look, hot copper people out there, whether you love us or hate us, comment. And if you do hate us, we'd love to hear it because we thrive on it. <laughs> stay, stay, uh, stay. What are the? What's the anchor man? Stay class, stay classy, money miners. That's the one. Hooroo, <laughs> <laughs> everyone. Cheers. The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation, or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation, and needs.